Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to have you with us. And uh, I pray that you'll uh, enjoy and benefit about this Bible study today. We are continuing with the book of Isaiah. We look at topics like uh, crisis of identity and crisis of leadership. And we learn that uh, when you feel like your world is falling apart, you may not know in which way to turn. And sometimes we have to learn lessons in the hard way. But today it's a very important study which we'll approach together, Noble Prince of Peace. I would like to welcome our panel for today. Thank you, Helen, for joining us today. Well, thank you, Nick. It's great to be here again, and uh, welcome to all our listeners. Good to have you with us, Joe. Thank you. Always good to be here. Marek, thank you for being able to, to join us. Looking forward to a great study. And Lija. Yes, I'm, I feel very grateful being part of the group study, the Bible study. Len is our facilitator for today. Thank you, Len, for putting together this uh, Bible study. Thank you for joining uh, our team. Without you, we may not be able to do it today. Oh, you're welcome. Hello, listeners. You know, listeners, in the previous two Bible studies, we've drawn some meaningful lessons from Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, particularly in relation to the incorrigible King Ahaz, who worshipped and encouraged worship of inert idols and was involved in the occult. Ahaz's behaviour displeased the Lord, but even so, God sent messages through the prophet Isaiah for Ahaz to seek God and his guidance to help cope with the threats of war coming from some of the nearby nations. But Ahaz refused, and as a result, his kingdom was eventually attacked and subjugated by the Babylonians. Ahaz was humiliated. There was no peace in the land, primarily because of the king. There are many lessons we can learn from uh, what we've been studying so far, but two important lessons come out of Ahaz's experience. Number one is that God can deliver from physical threats and from sin. And secondly, it's far wiser and far more effective to place our trust in God than in humans. Today we're going to consider the recipe for peace. But I just want to say this, that from these studies, we can see from the examples of other people, things that they did right and things that they did wrong. And we can learn from that. And I trust that in your life experiences, you've learned from those things too. There might be experiences you've had similar to Ahaz's. However, before we begin today, uh, we would like to start with prayer. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are just so blessed to have you in our life. We thank you, Lord, for all your amazing blessings that you continue to pour on us. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we can learn as we go through the Bible and study together. We thank you, Lord, that today's study gives us a recipe for peace which is something that a lot of people are searching for. I pray that their needs will be met this morning, as well as our own. Father, I just ask that the Holy Spirit be here in abundance to touch our hearts and may the words that come through our mouth um, be pleasing to you. 
Father, I just pray that each one of us can have a clear mind and be totally focused on you this morning. I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Lydia, would you like to read Isaiah 9-1? But before you do, what promise does the does God give for the troubled people of Judah? So Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. God uh, is promising for troubled people of Judah that um, an end will be put to the gloom and doom. So it means delivery comes from the Lord. We can observe here in uh, a little bit before that in Isaiah 8, that describes the hopeless condition of those who turn to the occult rather than to the true God. Wherever they look, they will uh, see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But by contrast, uh, we've observed here in Isaiah 9-1, there will come a time when there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. So it's a beautiful promise for those who turn back to God. Okay, it is a beautiful promise. And where the deliverance would come from, God actually names the place. He says it will be from Galilee. I'd just like to add a comment there because um, I think, yeah, it's a great, great promise because it shows us that we personally, even in our day, that we don't need to fear the troubles and the trials that come our way and think that they'll never end because God has given us a promise here. We can take comfort in in that certainty as should the children of Israel. But although the Lord may not spare us our troubles, uh, if we follow him wholeheartedly, he will take us safely through them. I think that's such a comfort. And I think that's very important, Helen. Mm. Um, Just to give you a little bit of statistics about this, we're in a time of trouble now with this COVID-19 business. Uh, We have a friend from Brazil, and he was telling us that so many people Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been looking for comfort in this time and they've been writing in for Bible lessons so they can study their Bible. But we know that um, although God identifies Galilee as the place where the deliverance would come from, deliverance doesn't come from a place. It has to be more than a place. I mean, just if you go, for example, to a place, that doesn't mean things are going to be right. And it's actually talking about where this would be the place where this comfort would come from. Joe, would you like to explain a little bit further? Yes, Len. As we've already seen, they were in such darkness that they there was nowhere they could look, as it says in Scripture. They couldn't look up or down. There was nothing to distract them from their gloom, from their pain and misery. But then in verse 2 of chapter 9, it starts off with the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that lived in a land of shadows, but now light is shining on them. And it goes further and it, it promises a child and it says a child is born to us. 
A son is given to us and he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His royal power will continue to grow. His kingdom will always be at peace. He will rule as King David's successor, basing his power on right and justice from now until the end of time. So here we have a, a, a ruler promised. I, I guess God always intended for there to be a righteous king on the throne of David. David, who is, if you like, a foreshadow of a type of Christ. And um, unfortunately, there were kings that, like Ahaz, undermined that principle that God wanted there to be someone good on the throne all the way until that child was born and he would be Jesus as we have known him. Now, some of the titles there, you know, the mighty God, Christ is no less God than the Father. Wonderful counsel embodies so much wisdom that's praiseworthy and worthy of admiration and adoration. And we have the Prince of Peace. We know that there is no peace outside of righteousness and his government would rule over heaven and earth. So here we have such a foundational um, promise of a kingdom that will be set up and this child is promised to these people who can only see darkness at the moment. And as Helen has alluded, it gives us hope, even in our darkest times, that there is a child, there is a hope that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Joe. That was a, a wonderful comment. Merrick? It is. I, I, uh, I read these verses again today, and I don't know why, but every time I read the words, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, immediately a tune comes to my mind and I couldn't help myself but listen to Handel's Messiah uh, this morning as I as I read that passage again. And, uh, you know, when you listen to the music and you read these words, I have to say that there is something that just runs up and down my spine, a little tingle. It's such a wonderful promise. It's something, one, some, some of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament. Yes. If we contrast... The government of Ahaz, to whom Isaiah gave prophecies, that government of Ahaz was an absolute disaster. He was a very poor king. But here the promise is that the government of this deliverer would be one of peace. Now, while in in itself that doesn't sound like much, it's very important because people who live with turmoil all the time Life is horrible, but when there is peace in the land, then life can be beautiful. Yes, Helen. I I just thought when you said, you know, one of peace, I I think we also need to add there that it would last forever. Yes. Which is vastly different to what we have today. Such a promise. You know, can you imagine peace lasting forever? Yeah. Wow. Look forward to that. Yes, Mary. It's just interesting to note You know, why was there so much violence? Why was there so much disaster during the time of Ahaz? And you have to admit, it was human choice. It was not the way God wanted to lead and the way God wanted to direct. It was Ahaz who chose to place his confidence, his trust in troops, in, in chariots, in the kings of this world, and that was an absolute disappointment to God. If God would have his way, there would be a different way of resolving injustice, a different way 
of resolving political issues and geographical boundaries. But because God was cut out of the formula, what we saw was incredible violence and bloodshed and disaster. And that is exactly what God didn't want. And ultimately, God promised a much more beautiful alternative. Yes, when we think about the fact that Ahaz actually offered one of his own children to be burned on the uh, idol Moloch, um, that's not peace. That's terrible. Well, we've got the names. We've got this prophecy here. But do we have an actual verse in the Bible that names who this deliverer was? Merrick, would you like to take up that point? Yes, yes, certainly there are some very specific texts uh, in the New Testament, and uh, I will just refer to the ones in, uh, in Matthew. But uh, if we read Matthew 4, verse 15 and 17, it says, Land of Zabulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, that's that's quoting from Isaiah. These New Testament writers had no questions in their mind as to who uh, these prophecies pointed to. And then, uh, of course, if we look at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 1, and verses 22 and 23, again, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, which prophet? It's quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yes. Helen? I'd just like to hone in on that word just for a few seconds, the word Emmanuel. It was the fulfillment of the prophet of Isaiah, as Merrick said, meaning God with us. And, you know, Jesus was God in the flesh, and thus God was literally among us or with us. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ is present today in the life of every single believer. Perhaps not even Isaiah understood how far-reaching the meaning of Emmanuel would be. Yes. A lot of people have questioned who Jesus was. Was he just a good teacher? Was he crazy? Or was he deluded? But no, the Bible describes him quite clearly as God with us. We must accept that Jesus is God come down to this earth in the flesh. He lived as a man in order to save mankind. Yes, Joe. Len, you might, our listeners, we all might find it interesting that God has always desired to be to be with his people. He said in an Exodus, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It has always been God's purpose that he would be with his people here on earth. Even though they'd gone the wrong way, Adam and Eve chose the wrong path. God was determined that he will be with them whenever he could, whenever they allowed him to be. And I think uh, when they built built the sanctuary, that was his intention. He wanted to be among them. Yes. And, of course, Emmanuel is just a continuation of what God has always desired. This was, of course, God's original plan, to spend time with his creation, man. But, of course, sin made a separation. But God never lost the desire to be with mankind, and that's why he's one of the reasons why, at least, why he's done everything 
to restore us to himself. It was not by accident that Jesus' early ministry was in the Galilee region, where he gave hope by announcing the good news of God's kingdom and by healing people, including delivering demoniacs from bondage to the occult. Here is where we see a perfect example of how the Bible takes events that happened in Old Testament times and uses them to prefigure things that will happen in New Testament times. Yes. Now, at the birth of Jesus, how did the angel describe this newborn child? The angels. It's just, uh, I just, when I actually stop and think about this whole scene for the shepherds, I just think how just awesome it must have been to see not one angel, but a whole lot of angels singing. It must have been just absolutely amazing. But in Luke 2, 10 to 12, we're given a, a description of what they were actually saying. And it said here, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. You know, first words were, don't be afraid. I guess we would have all been afraid if we'd been in their shoes, and that was comforting to start with. But, you know, there are two main points of this particular anthem they were they were singing. One was glory to God, glory to God in the highest, and that's in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Don't you want to just shout that out? <laughs> glory to God, you know, in the highest heaven, because he was the fulfillment of what they were looking forward to. And I'd like to just just add, if I may, that this was the greatest event in history. Mm-hmm. It just happened. You know, the Messiah had been born, and for ages the Jews had waited for this, and it finally had occurred. And the announcement came to the humble shepherds. The good news about Jesus is that he's come to all of us, including the plain and the ordinary. He comes to anyone with a heart humble enough to accept him. Whoever you are and whatever you do, you can have Jesus in your life. Don't think that you need to have extraordinary qualification because he accepts you as you are. So prophecy made by Isaiah about where peace would come from has now been completely identified that peace would come through this child that was born, no less than Jesus Christ. They didn't have peace back then, but as you pointed out, Helen, and I think that was lovely, that we can have peace now. Peace resides with committing our lives to the Lord. Now, I want to ask you something rather personal. You might have to reveal something of your own life here. Do you have peace, panel members? And if you do, why? Anybody like to start on that? And my answer is yes. I have peace, especially when I'm focusing on the Lord. But I've also known the peace that passes understanding, which is mentioned in the Bible on uh, several occasions, one of them being, and I think I've done this before, but one of them was in an air, um, a small airplane crash, and the other one was at the time of an earthquake. 
And what, what it drew from me is that it doesn't really have to just be in those traumatic times, but it's good to know that in those times we can hang on to Christ no matter what happens. And it's the most amazing peace. You know, it's a peace that, as I said, it passes understanding. It's a peace that, that just takes over and you just know that whatever happens, you're in the arms of the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you live or whether you die or what happens. It is just so amazing peace. Yes, and I can testify to that. I think there are plenty of people who could share that too, that in trouble you can still have peace. This reminds me of some of the martyrs. I've read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's not very pretty reading. But a lot of people, while they were being burned at the stake, would be praying or singing hymns or even praying for their tormentors that you can have peace even in trouble. Ever, any other respondents to that question? I know I get rattled by uh, traumatic experiences and stresses and what have you, but there is nothing more peaceful than early in the morning being able to enjoy the ray, rise of a warm, rising sun and just place my complete focus on uh, on God, meditate, reflect on his word. That just brings such quiet and such a relaxed state of mind and body that uh, you almost sometimes feel as if you're partway between the earth and, uh, and and heaven. And I think being able to just enter into that relationship with God, communing with him is the source of greatest peace and, and, and happiness. And it, it's something that will oftentimes carry through the whole day when you begin by communing with God and spending time with him in prayer and reflecting on his work. Yes, thank you, Mary. Joe and then Lydia. I'm just reflecting on what is peace, and I guess it's we don't have too many um, traumatic events, thankfully, but peace is not the absence, in my mind, of um, stress and stresses of everyday living because we all have to face them. And it can be irritating, it can be draining, it can you know undermine our confidence and whatever it, it may do. It is sometimes difficult to live through, but a Christian can remain unshaken and confident that it will all work out, that kind of peace, um, that no matter what you might be, you know, whatever is causing you grief at the moment, as the Bible says, this too shall pass. So I, I guess the peace that we have as Christians is not the absence of issues in our lives, stress, stresses, but that we can remain confident that, God will bring us through it and that we don't need to be shaken and terrified and worried that it will all work out and whatever's happening, this will pass and there are sunnier days ahead. When you're bond with God, it's an unshaken, unbreakable bond. So when you go through any circumstances in your life, your trust is uh, is 100% in him, in him because with him, with God, with Jesus, you can go through everything, through fire, through waters, through, um, you know, deep problems and so on, because you know, and you are, you have the assurance that he is with you. And w- no matter what, what happens, he is with you. There's one word you used a couple of times, which I think is really special. You said, when you are with him. And I believe that's very important. When we link our lives with the Lord and we serve and obey him, he is the master of 
whatever happens to us. And we can trust him. And I feel very much the same too. Yes, Nick. I was just going to refer to that land that um, looking back to the story we are learning from the book of Isaiah about King Ahaz and the prophet Isaiah came to him with those words. God is with us. Now, this king uh, was troubled to the extent that he forgot that God can deliver, that God is with us. And he's, he was seeking deliverance from uh, men or from people. And that's probably the lesson to learn. We are confronted today with all sorts of things. We may lose that confidence in the things in this world and whatever it is, as long as we don't forget that God is with us mm. through all these things. And I believe uh, the promise of deliverance into the name, you know, Emmanuel, as, as we look back now, the fulfillment of that prophecy as Jesus was born and the region where he uh, brought the peace, you know, in, in which he, uh, he started his ministry. We are still looking ahead towards some of the fulfillment of prophecies. Are we confident? Because it's one thing to look back when you see the prophecy fulfilled, and it's another thing to trust in a promise, in a fulfillment of a prophecy. And uh, one of the most important uh, thing in, in my opinion right now is that even though we are going through all sorts of troubles, difficult times, Jesus promised that he will come again to put an end to all of these things and to start again. Being right with the Lord is an important thing. And we have listed in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, some very interesting comments given to the Israelites back then. Joe, would you like to briefly share something from Leviticus 26? Absolutely. In Leviticus 26, it begins with God warning his people to not make idols or set up statues, stone pillars and so forth. I am the Lord your God, you know, and he invites them to worship him only. And then it goes on, if you live according, there's an if there, if you live according to my laws and obey my commands, therefore they're obedient, he promises that he will send the, right, the rain at the right time and that there will be plentiful crops, there will be harvesting, they'll be eating from one year, one harvest to the next, there'll be leftovers, um, that I will give you peace in your land and you'll be able to sleep without being afraid. You know, there'll be no more war and I will bless you with many children and so forth. And I like verse 10, and I would encourage anyone who has time to just read these chapters in context. And it says your harvests will be so plentiful that they will last for a year. And even then you will have to throw away what is left of the old harvest to make room for the new. So this would have been the epitome of prosperity, surely, in that time. And so God is is promising that, and conversely, if they were disobedient, none of this would happen. And so we see that happening in the time of Ahaz, um, that, you know, there'd been warnings that were given to Uzziah and Jotham, and now 
now Ahaz is, you know, finding himself in this straight place and they are experiencing the rewards of their disobedience. There is no peace. There is no plenty. There is no, um, they cannot sleep, uh, you know, and rest. There is, you know, probably even a very poor harvest because we know that the land reverts to, you know, goats roaming it. You know, they'll be living off honey and um, curds and it's there's no time for agriculture. There's no one to work the land. And so it's going back to its original state. And so God is, is offering one or the other, obey, and you will have this, disobey, and they were living the disobedience, unfortunately. What does that mean for us today? I guess we'll be discussing that shortly. All right. Yes, Nick. Just a, a comment on uh, on that, because uh, I believe uh, we can um, interpret these passages of the Bible in various ways. I mean, as uh, sometimes we, we do that thing, and it's not necessarily the way God wants us to, to understand some of the things about um, plentiful, about blessings, about all those things. Now, I, I grew up at the farm, working the land, understanding when it was a shortage of uh, food, of things because of, you know, a situation. And I understand when it was plentiful. What I want to link here is that the Bible is not talking as sometime we Christians today, we talk about um, uh, prosperity gospel because, as I said, coming from a, from a farm, when God provides, provides for the continuation of life, you know, like to have enough to, uh, to keep going. He's not talking about here, if you come to the Lord, if you come to God, you'll become a millionaire overnight. You know, you'll, you'll have riches that you don't know what to do with them. I believe that's not what the Bible says there in those passages. I believe that God says that he will take care of your needs. You'll have enough. Yes, well, I've really enjoyed these comments. And I hope you have too, listeners. I think you've heard some really good things this morning. Now, we have to keep this fairly brief because I know how the time is going just at the moment. But just on a personal level, because we've been talking about obedience and disobedience, what benefits have you had by obeying the Lord? First of all, you have a complete peace of mind, uh, good sleep, uh, rest in uh, his arms. So no doubt in your mind. So you have the complete 100% assurance, trust that he, he, God, God cares for you. God is there for you and you'll never be forgotten. Yes, I think that's lovely uh, to wake up in the morning and to realize that you're not alone in this cold, dark, ugly world, but God's there. And that's beautiful. Now, in Leviticus chapter 26, the second part talks about God removing his blessings from those who are disobedient. Helen, do you think God is unjust in removing his blessings because people are disobedient? Well, I think, well, my answer to that is no, I don't think he was unjust. But if we, we look back at the, the text that um, Joe was talking about before, you know, there are 10 blessings that God is talking about between verse 3 and verse 13. He's saying, I will, I will do this, I will do that and all the rest. But he starts off by saying, if 
small word. If you follow my degrees and careful to be my commands. I liken this to Deuteronomy with the blessings and the cursings. But when we get down to uh, verse 14, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, however, if, here we go again, you do not listen to me or obey all these commands, and if you break my covenant by rejecting my decrees, treating my regulations with contempt and refusing to obey my commands, I will punish you. I will bring sudden terrors upon you, wasting diseases and burning fevers that will cause your eyes to fail and your life to ebb away. And, you know, I could continue going on that vein, but I'd have to really go further than verse 17 if I was going to do that because right down um, to verse from 14 to 39, this time there are 22 I wills. I guess it depends on your translation. But this time it's what I will do if you disobey. The word if means that they had a choice. Now, who in their right mind would choose not to follow and obey God when he's promised them all these blessings, but they sadly chose the other, Mm. which is hard to understand. But don't we do that sometimes ourselves? God gives us choices. He gave me a choice one day and I actually disobeyed him. And I can remember walking out the place that I'd been in and I wanted to fall on my knees and on the footpath. And it took me three days to, he was there all the time, but it took me three days to get over that and for him to take away any of the shame and whatever that I had. You know, that was total disobedience. And the benefit was that I therefore had no more shame or whatever. But, you know, we are all given a choice. They were given a choice. No, I don't think God was unjust. He he was long-suffering more than anything. Yes, Lydia, then Joe. Yes, I would like to add here that we observe in these uh, verses here in Leviticus uh, chapter 26, starting with verse 14 and following, it says there are punishments of God for disobedience. And we observe that God cannot punish all at once, but in stages. And in many verses, we have here the the word if. If it's a condition followed by a blessing. If you do this, I will do that for you. We don't do it in order to get the blessing. The blessing simply follows by um, serving the Lord and, yes. and doing what he wants. These are These are all wonderful. But it's not always what's observed. You know, in Jeremiah, it says, why does the way of the wicked succeed? And in Habakkuk, why do you, referring to God, remain silent when the wicked devours one more righteous than he? So clearly we have, I think even David himself lamented, you know, why? how long will the wicked prosper? And so we see in reality, yes, those who do right, God will bless and, you know, but not everyone. I think Nick also alluded to the fact that just because you obey God, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfectly well, that you're going to become a millionaire. I don't think God ever promised that sort of uh, prosperity. He said, yeah, he provided for needs. But here we have also that there are for no reason, you know, we have people who do the wrong thing and appear to prosper and get away with it. And and um, good people suffer at their hands. So I wonder if the principle is that, yes, the wicked may prosper, but it's only temporary. The righteous may suffer, but it's only temporary. In the overall scheme of things, God sees the end from the beginning. And 
it will all get sorted out in the end. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that, just to ponder that all the wicked, that all this prosperity of the wicked and they appear to succeed and they're just doing so well, it's all temporary. Anything that a righteous person may be enduring is also temporary, thank God. Yes. And Joe, just on that one quickly, as you mentioned, David, uh, actually he used the words that uh, for those people who trust in God and want to follow God, even their bones dry, you know, but the wicked, their eyes grow into their fat. And it's interesting that uh, God challenged uh, David and David understood. And he said, until I went into the house of the Lord and saw the, uh, the end of the wicked. I mean, if we'll see the end of those people who we envy, probably we wouldn't want to be in their place. Uh, I think it's a bit like playing Russian roulette. Take your chances without God. Mm. Anyhow, the Lord was very angry with the people of um, Judah because particularly of their king. And uh, could you just tell us a couple of things that God was really angry about what they were doing? Nick? Uh, Yes, Len. I mean, I'm going back, uh, you know, I'm going in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 13. It says here, for after all this punishment, the people will still not repent. They will not seek the Lord of heaven's army. This is very important because, you know, the king of, uh, of Judah, he was looking for help for people who have strength and armies. And he forgot about the, the Lord of the heaven who is in the control of all the armies. And in also going a bit further in the chapter 10, in the book of Isaiah, it says, and here we can draw a lesson and an application for the times we live in. What sorrow awaits the unjust judges and those who issue unfair laws? They deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. They prey on widows and take advantage of orphans. What will you do when I punish you? when I send disaster upon from a distant land. And I believe personally that we live in a time when we take advantages of uh, people who may not be able to defend themselves as well. I mean, I'm talking generally, like even in the, in the way we're passing laws and governments, even though we think that we are pursuing a democratic uh, or democratic laws, we're still using those ways of oppression. Yes, well, obviously the people are acting unjustly, they're acting with greed, uh, not looking after the vulnerable in society, and, well, as you say, this sort of thing is happening today, not so much here in this country, but in many countries around the world, people just tread on the rights of others. Yes, Ligia? What we see here... Uh, as seen all through the Bible, is the reality of free will. So we know that God made humans free. He had to, otherwise we could never love him, truly love him. And freedom involves the option to do wrong. And our time, and again, God seeks 
to woo us by revealing his loving character, he also will allow us to face the fruit of our wrong decisions, which are pain, suffering, fear, turmoil, and so forth, all in order to help us realize just what turning away from him leads to. And yet, even then, how often these things don't make people put away sin and come to the Lord. Free will is wonderful. We couldn't be human without it. Woe to those, whoever, who use it wrongly. All right. Thank you very much, Ledger. You know, listeners, there are over 350 Old Testament prophecies about the Deliverer, Jesus Christ. Many of these will form part of later studies of the book of Isaiah. But today we will examine just a sample of them. Marek, we have a prophecy about the Deliverer in Isaiah 11.1. Would you like to share that with us? Mm. This wonderful chapter, chapter 11, points to a golden age that is coming. But it begins with the interesting words, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. It's fascinating when I go for my morning walks, I walk through a part of the bush where you can see an old decaying, decomposting stump of a new old eucalyptus tree. And what absolutely amazes me when I look at that stump, there is a new shoot springing up with these beautiful, fresh new leaves coming up. And uh, it always makes me think of the uh, account in Daniel chapter 4 of Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled over a wonderful kingdom where the tree could be seen from all over the world and was reaching right up to the sky. But because he turned away from God, the instruction of the messenger was cut the tree down, but leave only the stump, which was to be chained, but was not to be destroyed. The the stump was not to be uprooted. It was to remain in the ground. And of course, when when Nebuchadnezzar turned his heart back to God, that stump produced a shoot and grew a new tree, which was greater than the tree that stood in its place before. But here we obviously see this fact that God never wanted to completely eliminate his people, the, the tribe of Judah. The tree was cut down because they were disobedient, defying God, departing from God. But out of that stump, was to come a new shoot. And of course, as we look at the meaning of the shoot, the branch in later discussion, we know that that points to the coming of the Messiah. And it's beautifully elaborated in various other prophecies within the Old Testament and the New Testament. Helen? Thank you, Merrick. That was, that was very well put. I'd just like to draw attention to, to chapter 10, the last um, verse, where it talks about Assyria would be also like a tree, but it would be cut down at the height of its power, never to rise again. And here we have the contrast, which Judah, the royal line of David, would be like a tree chopped down to a stump, but then the new shoot would grow. I think you can see the difference there of what God is saying to these people. Yes, we have this word picture. It actually refers to people and it talks about the stump being Jesse. What was important about Jesse, Joe? Well, um, Lynn, I guess the root of Jesse is a metaphor that we find in Isaiah 11.10. And I guess it's, it's also figurative, the Messiah. 
Um, the root of the family, as we know, is the progenitor, Jesse, and, um, and he was King, King David's father. And we know from genealogical records, of course, that um, Jesus had descended from the line of Jesse and his son David. So um, in that sense, um, you know, I think if we also go back to Second Samuel, there's also a promise uh, at the anointing of David uh, when God spoke, and he promised David that his offspring would be would establish an eternal kingdom. And it says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. That's probably, well, it is referring to Christ. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And I guess that is fulfilled through Christ and the root of Jesse, like it goes right back there. And I guess I really liked what Marek said that um, even though it may have been cut down, cut down through Ahaz, through the evil kings, still there are roots beneath that are alive and will send forth a branch, a shoot. And um, out of this will become this new kingdom, this great kingdom that will last forever and ever. So I guess Jesse is seminal in that, that out of him arises the, the wonderful counsel of the mighty God and so forth. Yes. Marek, before you were talking about the branch, could you just uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Well, the term branch is, is used in, by a number of, of, of the Old Testament prophets. And if I could use uh, one example here from uh, Zechariah, Uh, Chapter 3, verses 8, it says, Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates sitting before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now, that very clearly pointed to the Messiah. And as you read that passage a little further, this, this passage found its fulfillment in later years in Jesus Christ who was the one who removed sin, the sin that uh, was referred to here in in Zechariah. And uh, just a couple of chapters later, uh, again, uh, in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 8, tell him that this is what the Lord Almighty says, here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. And here again is a reference to the Messiah, but the king, priest, Messiah. So uh, uh, these prophets very, very clearly, inspired by the same spirit, used very similar expressions to convey the message of a coming high priest, king, Messiah, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Yes, we're, uh, we're quite aware of the fact that the branch was Jesus. But in Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 and 15, there's a particular name given to Jesus, not the branch, but another name. Helen, what is that? I'd like to read again from the New Living Translation, and if, it, with your permission, read 14, 15, and 16. Um, it says here, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. Boy, what a great promise that is. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, 
He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And in that day, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. In other words, a man after God's own heart. Yes. The Lord, our righteousness. He gives us righteousness. We can be forgiven through him. Just before you move on quickly, I would like to say uh, this also as an application. You know how um, Martin Luther, he really stood up when he understood the passages in in Romans and also in Old Testament in Habakkuk that the righteous will live by faith alone. You know what? This is very important because uh, the application of all this uh, prophecy and um, the voice of the Lord, to say so, which was used uh, through Isaiah and in our times also to the understanding of the prophecy is that we need to make a difference and live a righteous life. All right. Thank you, Nick. Now, there's a little bit of a quandary here. And, Marek, maybe you can unravel this for us. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it talks about Jesus not just being the branch, but the root. Now, how can Jesus be both the branch and the root? What a wonderful passage. If anyone still has a question in terms of what the root and the branch means, then listen to the very words of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 16 of Revelation 22 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright morning star. Does the Bible explain itself? It sure does. Christ himself says, I am the root and and the branch. Now, it's interesting. Christ existed before David did, and therefore he is the root. But he also comes directly as a descendant of David, so he can be spoken of as the offspring of David. And, of course, he is the bright and morning star, because it is through him that we have salvation and that light has shone so brightly that all men can see the light and be drawn to it for their salvation and their restoration. Now, in in Luke 4, verse 18, referring back to Isaiah 11, verse 2, and I know I'd love to spend a lot longer on this, but we have to do it briefly. Jesus claimed to have something. Elijah, what was it? Yes, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, in uh, I would like to read also the verse from Isaiah uh, 11, verse 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him who is Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Yes, Jesus, the Messiah, claimed himself 
to have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. And of course, he was the Lord. Yes, the prophecy said the Spirit of the Lord be upon him. And Jesus claimed that. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, now, there is also a prophecy not only about the first coming of Jesus, but about the second coming of Jesus. Helen, would you like to just share this with us? Yes, I'd be delighted. It's found in Isaiah 11, 1 and to part of 3, and it says here, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. And this to me is a prophecy about the first coming of Jesus. But when we go on and, um, you know, we, we go on to the end of verse 3, down to verse 5, it says, he will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay, which is what we do. He will give justice to the poor, make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And here we're talking about his second coming. Although um, Jesus has many, many names, one of them here is that he is also a judge yes, and he yes. will judge fairly and it will be a fulfillment of God's promise. We are perfectly aware that Jesus came. He was not only uh, regarded as a spiritual leader, but he was an actual person and even secular people have recorded his presence here on earth. But he said he was coming back again. And we have that in John chapter 14, 1 to 3. Speaking to the disciples, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Can you go on, Helen? And neither let it be afraid. Mine says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. And if there were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me, that where I am, be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. You know, that's an amazing promise, isn't it? You know, he actually gives us assurance. When he first came, he started to set up his kingdom of righteousness. He promised to come back again to take those who are faithful to his kingdom of glory. I pray none of us will be missing. Yes. Now, panel, could you give one word to describe how you would feel if there was no second coming of Jesus? <laughs> Devastated. Devastated. Deceitful. Lost. Disappointed. Yes, well, I would feel devastated too because the Bible promises, Jesus promised from his own lips, he's coming back again. I look forward to that time. You know, last week and this week, listeners, from the book of Isaiah, we considered two kingdoms. Firstly, there was the corrupt, ungodly, temporary kingdom of Ahaz, a weak, idol-worshipping king who was a dismal failure. He led his people into iniquity. But Isaiah was told to prophesy about the coming king, Jesus Christ, who would lead his people in paths of righteousness. He would be just and fair. His kingdom is eternal and is one in which the rest of the panel and I expect to be in. 
And we hope that you will make the same choices as us. And we pray that the Lord will lead you so that you can be part of his kingdom also. Let's conclude today with prayer. And Merrick, would you lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, one dark day there were two disciples walking on the the road to Emmaus, disappointed, feeling let down because they felt that their Saviour had been crucified and taken away from them. But then you opened their eyes by showing them all the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed to his coming, pointed to his wonderful mission. And Lord, when they realized what these prophecies meant, we read that their hearts burnt inside them. And today, Lord, we feel that you have spoken to us through the book of Isaiah. You have opened our eyes to understanding the promises that have been made in that book. And you personally yourself have explained the meaning of the prophecies and the symbols used. And Lord, our hearts burn within us as we look forward to the time of your coming, to that golden age that will be characterized by complete peace and harmony. Lord, what a wonderful world to look forward to. Help us to study these prophecies in detail. Help us to seek you and, 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 and search for you with all of our hearts, because we know when we do, you will reveal yourself to us. Lord, we have been blessed and we seek your blessing. We seek your guidance and we surrender our hearts and our minds to you. Be with us, dear Lord. May this world see the light that you have promised, the light that is coming, the light that is shining upon the world is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, sharing today. I believe uh, that as we are continuing to look into the book of Isaiah, we'll learn more and more and draw more lessons and applications for uh, the time we live in. We learned that this king uh, has, he took the matters in his own hands, forgetting about the living God, the one who can deliver. And I wonder if uh, today there are also uh, that sort of um, intentions that people may take the matter in their own hands and playing God on earth. This is the topic which we are going to approach next week, playing God. And we'll learn about the doom of the nations and the fall of the uh, Babylon. There are many good lessons to draw, and I'll invite you to join us back again. Thank you so much for being with us today. Until next time, may God richly bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.